This is Fresh Ed, a weekly podcast that makes complex ideas in educational research easily understood. I'm your host, Will Brem. I wanted to tell you about a new project we're launching called Fresh Ed Flux, which aims to encourage new voices in education podcasting. Are you a graduate student who wants to develop, produce, and deliver a creatively complex, multi-voiced, globally rich, narrative-style episode for Fresh Ed Flux? If so, we want to hear from you. We are interested in putting together an episode that will showcase your deep dive storytelling, which is informed by cutting edge ideas and issues in education broadly defined. Your episode will be made for an English speaking audience, but could include other languages that have been translated into English. And it will be between 20 and 30 minutes long. If you are the successful candidate, you will be awarded a stipend of 2,500 US dollars, and your episode will be aired on Fresh Ed next year. I'm really excited about this project, and I encourage you to get in touch with your ideas. You can find more details at freshedpodcast.com flux. Again, that's freshedpodcast.com flux. Now on with today's show. Today, we explore educational privatization in Brazil and Portugal. With me is Rui da Silva, a researcher in the Center for African Studies at the University of Porto in Portugal. Together with Teresa Adrio, Rui has recently published a new article in the journal Globalization, Societies, and Education, entitled Public Funding to Private Providers of Compulsory Education, Crossed Looks between Brazil and Portugal in the context of globalizations. Rui da Silva, welcome back to Fresh Ed. Thank you, Will. So I want to talk about Brazil and Portugal today. So how would you describe educational privatization in Brazil? In the Brazilian case, we have to take in consideration that Brazil is uh, a federation. So the responsibility for, for education is divided by the federation government, the states, and the municipalities. So in Brazil, the parents that do not send the, the children to school is considered a crime. So in, in principle, every children have to go to school. So. And in, in, in Brazilian case, the, the Brazilian state he, he have to provide free education for all. And the private providers that uh, want to operate in the system have to have a formal permission from, from the government. But they have to ensure that they follow the, the national regulations and there are different types of education providers. So religious schools, philanthropic schools and for-profit uh, schools and in the case of basic education that is the focus of of this article the national education law from the the mid 90s restrict the transfer of public funds to to private schools and the private schools in strict census that the, the private schools that have to final goal the profit so allowing only the the, the state to transfer public funds for non-profit schools but the condition under that this, the state can transfer these public funds to private providers is to ensure the expansion of the education system. So if the, this condition is, is taken, so the expansion of the education system is allowed to transfer public funds to, the, to education. 
So it's quite interesting. So it's it's a case of in Brazil, was there limited access to education that was seen as, as a problem that the government was trying to solve and therefore to increase access, they needed basically as many providers as possible. Was that sort of the logic? Yeah, the, that's right. So especially in the 90s when the end of the, the dictatorship, However, the, the, in conjunction with this expansion of the education su- service recently, the government also allowed that the public education systems, uh, system and the schools can hire consultancies. And that opened the space for private providers to pr- provide services to curriculum inputs and all these kinds of, of consultancy services. And companies like Person and Sentinilla penetrate the, how can I say, the, the Brazilian uh, market. And these transnational companies enter the public education system through these consultancies and provide curricular inputs to public schools. Huh, interesting. So it's not just simply the case of for-profit schools receiving public money, which seems to potentially be limited to some extent. It's also or more of a case of private companies receiving consultancies to help with more of the education systems, such as curriculum and and the like. Yes. In relation to the second decade of this century, investment funds began to operate also in, in the Brazilian market. As, as I, we are talking about with these curriculum problems, didactic materials, training courses for teachers, and they establish an education network. And more recently, in the last decade of this century, we saw in Brazil the rise of corporations and business-based foundations, philanthropic capitalism, we can consider them, that start working with the government and support the government to define educational priorities and policies. So the profession in resume with the developments of, of the last, I don't know, 20 years, the privatization of education, they, they influence now the, the privatization of education supply, the education management and the curriculum, because they also work with the government with these other inputs, curricular inputs, teacher training, teacher materials. They work as a consultants to the, especially the, not the national government, but the states and municipalities government. Huh, interesting. I was just thinking about at what level is this privatization occurring? So it's, it's happening at all the levels from, from municipalities, states and the federation. Yeah, because it's, it's a federal uh, government when the, the, the states and the municipalities is, is very diverse, the landscape. But on, on the beginning, this privatization issue started with schools. But then we, we more recently, with this allowing them to provide consultancies, they also penetrate in, in the curriculum, the materials, teacher training. So now the, these private providers, especially these, these foundations that can be characterized that philanthropic capitalism now penetrate the, the whole system in the educational supply, educational management and the curriculum. So what in the beginning was only the provision of, of uh, schools now goes to the management and the curriculum, particularly also because the a recent uh, Development in Brazil, the, the changing of, of the law also allowed to private companies to manage public schools, especially in the municipalities. So all of these different 
changes that have happened over the last maybe two decades or so, what sort of impact has this had on educational outcomes? Do we know? The results are, are mixed and usually the debate is very ideological. The issues of results are not so, or educational outcomes are not so present. The debate are, are more about the benefits or the, the, that the private providers are better than the state. Also because on the end the debate is that, especially that in some municipalities particularly, the, the presence of the state is weaker and people also, uh, the, the main argument is the benefits of the private. The private manages better, the private uh, gets better outcomes and so on. But on the end, you don't go to, to, the, uh, to the students' results. But finally, if you go, usually you get better results because if you restrict the curriculum, if you train the, the students to perform on the exams, of course, you'll get better results on the end. So let's turn to the case of Portugal. How would you describe educational privatization in Portugal? Yeah, in the, the case of, of Portugal, historically, we have the presence of the Catholic Church as the main provider of primary education in conjunction with the limited state supply. But that was was long time ago. So more recently, and the issues of the, the more radical changes, can I say, occur in the 80s and in the 90s, especially when the end of our long dictatorship in, in Portugal where privatization and liberation of education system prevail. Nevertheless, during these, these 80s and 90s, there was a tension, especially because of the Carnage Revolution in Portugal in, in 74. So there was a tension between, between this privatization agenda, but also the issues around, because we, we ended the long dictatorship, so also the issues around popular participation, social inclusion and justice market this political agenda. So we see a, a here an agenda of the, the market, but also the population could to have private initiatives, but in basis of cooperatives and uh, social inclusion and popular participation. And also during this time, especially in the, in the 90s, Portugal joined European Economic Union, now European Union, and also that bring changes to the to this liberalization of education system. So there's this, this conjunction about the end of the dictatorship in Portugal and also in the 90s, the, the European Union. So public funds were transferred also to non-profit or for-profit education providers, also in the same, uh, compared with the same as Brazil because we have to expand our uh, education system. So the condition to provide public funds to private providers was that. We call it contracts de association, is association contracts that the government established with these private providers, for profit or non-for-profit, to the expansion of compulsory education for all. Because during the dictatorship, there was little investment in education. And one of the principles of the revolution was the expansion of basic education for all. And did, it, did access expand by bringing in more private providers? Yeah, because the law said when the state couldn't provide education, if a private provider, a for-profit or non-for-profit or a cooperative 
can be established and provide education, they, they will get funds from the government. And that was, in fact, uh, I believe, a, a success because in, in the 80s and the 90s, there was a, a huge expansion of, of the basic education and that reflects now. But in the Portuguese case, the government never stopped investing in this passion of the system. So there was continuous investment of public money into public schools while also allowing sort of private providers to come in as well to supplement what the government was providing. Yeah, and, and the, the European funds also, the social funds from, from the, the, the European Union and then the European Economic Community also helped the government to invest in construction of public schools and the expansion of the, the Portuguese education system. So that in conjunction in the present moment with the lowest fertility, so we have less young population, the public system can accommodate everyone. Still, there is also private providers, of course, they, they can open uh, schools and can manage schools, but the public education system can accommodate everyone. So one particular uh, thing also in the Portuguese case and that these private schools that receive public funding, they must follow the national curriculum. They have the, the right to manage pedagogically, they have pedagogical autonomy and management autonomy, of course, they have to follow the national curriculum. And also they cannot charge fees to the students, but can, can charge extra fees to the students if they want to have extracurricular activities or, or transports. So would you say that the private providers in Portugal are in a sense, more heavily regulated than in Brazil? Yeah, right. That, that's, that's what I they, they have to follow the national curriculum. And so in Brazil, there is no national curriculum? There wasn't. In, in 2018, they, now they have a, a, a national curriculum. But the, the interesting thing here is that this national curriculum was uh, pressure from these uh, private companies that provide... Uh, curriculum materials and pedagogical materials. Oh, in Brazil. Oh, right. Because of all the consultancies. Yeah, in the Brazilian case. Yeah, it's interesting this this thing because here in Portugal it was the the state that defined the national curriculum and said every school have to follow the national curriculum. In the Brazilian case, there wasn't the national curriculum because also the the dimension of the con the countries are very different. But with the pressure of these private companies that provide curriculum materials and pedagogical materials and training, with the pressure of them, they established a national curriculum because there was interest of these private providers to have a standard curriculum because they only have to produce one type of, of materials. Now, going back to the Portuguese case, what uh, I think is, is uh, also interesting in more recent years, that is from 2011 and 2015, when Portugal was during the tax adjustments and during the, the acute of, of the crisis, the, the discourse of the benefits of the private providers, almost the same as in, in Brazil, the private manage better, the private uh, have the cost benefits higher. All these perspectives try to reshape this community cooperative perspective that was behind the, the the association contracts, DNA from the 70s and from the 80s. 
So during this period, we, we saw in the public debates in Portugal, trying to transform these association contracts that I, I told you they were uh, created to promote the expansion of the education system. The narrative tried to put these uh, association contracts to try to transform them in education vouchers. Uh, and during this period, in 2013, in, in Portugal, the, the, the government from the time also made changes on the law to put a kind of education vouchers, but with a different name. Call it simple family support contracts. Contratos simples de apoio à família. So the education vouchers, but with a spinning in the name, just to, to try to, to allow the to transfer public funds to private schools without these association contracts, because by law, you, you can only transfer public funds to these schools if they are contributing to the expansion of the system. So what would you say are some of the main similarities between the cases of Brazil and Portugal when it comes to educational privatization? At the broader level, uh, in relation with Brazil Portugal, the me mechanism for to provide public funds to private education school providers are the same. So is to allow to the expansion of the education system to fund private schools where the state doesn't have the capacity yet to provide education for all. So do the fact that compulsory education is in both countries is a state responsibility should be free and mandatory for all based on these principles. This is the main similarity. The principle for, to provide public funds to private providers are the same. The expansion of the education system to have, because it's a state responsibility, it should be free and mandatory for all. In Brazil, we, we have two main mechanisms, and in Portugal, we only have one. is the, the one contracts the association education that uh, I told you. So th this is the, the main similarity between the two countries. The mechanism, the, the aim of transfer public funds to private providers is the same, is to the expansion of the system. And beyond, beyond the national curriculum, which we talked about previously, are there any main differences between these two cases? The main difference between the two cases is the type of providers. But we also, before I uh, go through this, we have to take in consideration the dimension of each country and also the economic situation of the two countries. I think these are the two main drivers. We have to pay attention that Portugal have around 10 million inhabitants with a very aged population, and Brazil have 2,010 million inhabitants with a very young population. So this also leads to different institutions that promote, the education providers are, are, are different. In Brazil, prevail development of financial institutions and venture philanthropy. In the case of Portugal, prevail uh, national private education entrepreneurs and national only, not in, in international. So the, the education private providers in Portugal are cooperatives of professionals, religious, the Catholic Church also, and the private uh, groups in strict census. So and in Brazil, the private providers are small private companies, also religious, and more recently, a uh, self-declared civil society organization. But all these schools that that declare themselves civil society, they are connected to large corporations, especially large financial groups. And in other hand, the profiles of educational private providers that receive public funds are also changed in both, in, in both countries. In Brazil, we have 
the rise of risk philanthropicalists in conjunction with more traditional education providers, traditional philanthropists and, and religious schools. And in Portugal, we have the Catholic Church, teachers' cooperatives, and a small group of educational uh, entrepreneurs. And so these, you know, these demographic and economic differences, it also makes me wonder if there's political differences, especially because Brazil has recently politically has has moved to the right, whereas Portugal has recently moved more to the left in terms of its sort of national politics, I think. How do these differences in politics, how do you interpret them within the sort of move towards educational privatization? Right. So, uh, as you can imagine, the, in both cases, the, the answer to your question, as you imagine, is complex. But nevertheless, for the podcast listeners that are not familiar with the, the two countries, we can consider that uh, in the Portuguese case, it was related with the uh, with, uh, austerity policies implemented between 2011 and 2015. During this, this crisis, we have a more right-wing uh, government and that implement all these austerity measures, the, the promotion of the private providers, the transfer of public funds to uh, private providers. And in the 2015 elections, we had a historical parliamentary agreement between the Socialist Party, the Communist Party, and the Bloc de Esquerda, is another left-wing uh, party. So this parliamentary agreement was the first time in our history we had the parliamentary agreement with, with all these three uh, parties. So promoted a government that uh, were more concerned with the promotion of social rights and social justice. So this uh, historical uh, agreement revert uh, all, all these issues around education privatization and uh, allowed a more left-wing uh, government uh, within the, the Portuguese case. But now when we go to the Brazilian case, that we have a more right-wing uh, government, the result is even more complex than in Portugal. Because we had a, a, the Workers' Party crisis, the national and international uh, economic elite interests also were in stake. We had the rise of evangelical churches, particularly that promote a more conservative worldview. All this uh, aligned with the romanticized perspective from the, the Brazilian dictatorship and the international scenario that favored these ideas, all this in conjunction also promoted this more right-wing governments and that we are witnessing and all this catastrophe that we are seeing in the management of the coronavirus crisis and the rise of the private sector within the government and the cuts, all the cuts we have on, on, on social protection and the issues around social justice and social rights. So do you think it's fair to say that, you know, looking into the future, I guess in the short term future, we, we might be able to expect that in Brazil, educational privatization will, will likely advance more than where it is today. And whereas in Portugal, under the left-leaning government, it's more likely to see sort of the retreat of educational privatization or at least, you know, a, a growth of the public sector. Is that, is it, would that be a fair opinion to have about, you know, the future? 
Yeah, I believe so, is a fair opinion. We are witnessing that in, in both cases. We are witnessing that in Brazil, a rise of, of privatization and cuts on, on social, in health, in education. But when we are talking about education, is the rally cuts. Uh, in the current moment in Brazil, is a, a big discussion at this moment because of the, the federation funds to education. And in the Portuguese case, we witnessed this, the, this, the current government followed the, the legislation. So they said that they, they only transferred public funds to public schools that they were uh, helping the state to expand the network. And we witnessed a huge decrease of private providers, especially these private providers that they were dependent on, on public funds to operate. So th of course they lead private schools they keep running, but these these other schools that were dependent on, on, on government funds to operate almost all decreased the dimension that they have in the system because luckily the investment from the last decades in, in, in the public system and also the decrease of young population in Portugal allows that the public education system can accommodate uh, uh, everyone. It's a really interesting case study, comparative case study. What do you think, you know, studying Brazil and Portugal and comparing the two cases, what do you think this tells us about the, the phenomenon of educational privatization more broadly? Uh, more broadly, I think the, the comparison between these two countries show that the tensions that arise between the globalization and the glo localization and the conditions under which this global is localized indicating there there is no invisible end of privatization globally defined it and disconnected from national and even local interests and arrangements i think this case also this competition also highlights the role of national actors and the political choices made have in the definition of of educational policies implemented I believe that the Brazilian and the Portuguese case is an important contribution to the public debate and indicate that the main driver underlying the choices of policies are ideological and not taking consideration the evidence available. The choice policies most of the times is mainstreaming to promote or maintain uh, a privilege of small group of, of uh, people that are already privileged and also to favor some business people and some groups that will profit economically from these policies. I, I believe that probably that is what these two competitive cases can show us. Well, Rui da Silva, thank you so much for joining Fresh Ed again. Really a pleasure of talking and thank you for such an interesting case, comparative case of, of Brazil and Portuguese educational privatization. Thank you, Rio. It was a pleasure talking to you. Rui da Silva is a researcher at the University of Porto. His latest co-written article can be found in the journal Globalization, Societies, and Education. A transcript of today's interview can be found at freshedpodcast.com. Please note that opinions expressed on FreshEd are solely those of the host or the guest interviewed, not FreshEd, which takes no institutional position. If you've liked what you've heard today, please consider rating us on iTunes, it really does help. Fresh Ed's producers are Sherry Yang, Hong Zong, and Lushik Waba. Fatih Akhtas is our researcher, and Ing Jung Cho is our content developer. Original music for Fresh Ed was created by Digital Primate. Thanks for listening. I'm Will Brem, and I'll be back next week. <laughs>